Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. See, God was always more interested in a person's obedience from their heart than the rituals of animal sacrifices. Even today, many people go through religious activities. We just celebrated a time where many people went to church, especially on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve. But very often they did it not from a changed heart. They did it out of a ritual. Whether they want to admit it or not, many people find comfort in repetition. For them, they believe that having ingrained habits will provide some sense of security. This is especially true when it comes to religious activities. Maybe you're used to going to church as a child, but the reason for going wasn't explained to you. This attitude has been true for most of mankind's existence. Pastor Mark will teach today why this way of thinking misses the point. He'll tell you the right way you can get close to God. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 10 as he begins his message, Enter In With Confidence. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The shadow. How many remember the shadow knows? Yeah. You're familiar with what a shadow looks like. It simply, it reflects something. It's not the real person. It's just a reflection. Some of you have, in fact, I have on my desk, uh, my grandkids. It's nice to look at the picture, but it was a lot nicer to see them in person last week. Even though... Two of them had a cold, and you can't get a cold from a shadow, but you can get a cold from your grandkids. Linda and I are very well aware of that. The second thing is, when you take a vacation, you always look through brochures. Now, it's great to look at the brochure. It's nice to see those people, but you know what's a lot better than that? Being there what? Yourself, in person. So this is really what the scripture is talking about. It's not hard for us to understand. A picture of a vacation place, terrific, brochure is great, I want to be there. So the law was what? It was only simply a shadow of the good things that were to come. It pointed to the person and the work of Christ. 
But it was a poor substitute because it really wasn't real. Remember that the writer is using every illustration he can throughout all of these chapters. We've gone through nine already to convince the Jewish Christians that they don't want to go back to worshiping the shadow. They're experiencing the real. They've moved from the old covenant to the new. They were now able, as we'll see, to approach God, which was absolutely impossible under the old covenant. So the writer is going to say again, and it sounds repetitious to us to going through it, but we're not the one that's wavering. They were wavering because of persecution. So the writer is going to say, don't leave the covenant of grace. Don't leave it. It's the real thing to go back to this shadow, the old covenant of the law. Verse 2, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? In other words, if the sacrifices could have made a person perfect, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Remember, the shadow would be the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, the tabernacle, the sacrifices. All those things were imperfect. And just a picture of what would finally be completed by Christ. Now, there was no real salvation in the Old Testament. There was no real forgiveness. Their sacrifices were repeated and repeated and repeated. Their sins were only covered. And no clear conscience ever. Verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So every year on that incredible day called the Day of Atonement, when it was repeated year after year after year, it was a reminder of sin. It really wasn't a remission of sins. And so the writer just says, you've been through it. That's your history. You understand it. Only the better sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, could clear pacify the conscience because these sacrifices that were done year after year after year just reminded you that you were guilty. Now, here's something that's important for us. The Old Testament, very often because of the repeating of these sacrifices, it was a sin consciousness. We have to be very careful in the New Testament that we don't have a sin consciousness. We have a Jesus consciousness. Because our sins have been covered and forgiven and forgotten. So just think about this. When we celebrate communion, some people want to look at communion as a sin conscience kind of a thing. You're going to focus on sin. No, I'm focusing on what Jesus did for me. It's a celebration because my sins have been forgiven and forgotten. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire... But a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So this is a quote. Turn, if you will, just keep your finger right there, and we'll be back in a moment, to Psalms chapter 40. This is Jesus speaking. He goes back to the Old Testament. It's an allusion perfectly to what Jesus Christ knew from the Father. 
And it's the same words, basically, that we see in Psalm chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. Let's just read it together. These verses tell us why Jesus came to the earth. Notice, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you would have pierced. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is written in my heart. You see, God was always more interested in a person's obedience from their heart than the rituals of animal sacrifices. Even today, many people go through religious activities. We just celebrated a time where many people went to church, especially on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve. But very often they did it, not from a changed heart, they did it out of a ritual. Jesus talked about this. The Old Testament talked about it often. Remember in Matthew 15, 8? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now notice in this passage in Psalms, it talks about an ear. There's a lot of discussion about the ears, whether that was both ears being a servant and you were pledged to obey the master. There's another option. The ears to me, I think, are beautiful because it fits out exactly what Jesus is. Ears are part of the body. An open ear would make me think of somebody that's obedient. Because when you tell your children to do something and they don't, one of the first things you say is, didn't you hear me? Well, if they heard you and they want to do it right, they would obey you. So the better sacrifice would require a body. Look back at verse 5. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me. This is speaking about Jesus would have to come to earth in a body, as a man, fully man, fully God. And he would have to come because God wanted a perfect sacrifice. It couldn't be a God. It had to be somebody that would be like you and I. And of course, as you know, he was born in sinless condition from a virgin, and the Holy Spirit. And then he lived all those years sinless. So Christ said, I know what the Father wants. He's looking for a perfect sacrifice. He's not really into the Old Testament. Yes, that was there. It was a temporary thing in between. Started with Adam and Eve when he clothed them and so forth. But the final perfect sacrifice would have to be me. It would be Jesus. Jesus would kind of say this. I just put this in. Father, since the Old Testament sacrifice is imperfect, You have prepared a sinless body for me so that I might be the perfect sacrifice. Now, that plan that Jesus knew, and he's speaking about here in Psalms and in Hebrews, it's being spoken about. This was not a new plan. The scripture says Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. So it wasn't like a secondary thought. It was always the plan of God to do away with the shadow And bring the complete. And Jesus Christ is the one talking about it. Now, back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Notice what it says here. Then I said, Jesus speaking, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, 
I have come to do your will, O God. So, Jesus would say this to us, John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Understand, doing the will of God is better, number one, than just knowing the will of God. That comes from that obedient ear. So there's nothing better in our life than doing the will of God. That's what Jesus did. Now, that's, as Jimmy led us in worship, I'm coming back to worship. What is worship? Worship was singing like we did and worshiping, but really worship is much broader than that. Worship is simply doing the will of God joyfully. Just wanting to do the will of God. That's worship. You can sing all we want here, and if we walk out and don't do the will of God, it's not really true worship. So Jesus came to do nothing but the will of God. Let's go back to Matthew 26 for a moment and just study how this worked out. You know it, but it's good for us to remind ourselves in the Scripture. Matthew 26, verse 36. Now before I read that, Notice what Hebrews 12, 2 says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning a chain, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus knew all along what the will of God was for his life. And he did it no matter the cost. But more importantly... He did it willfully. But there was a battle of wills. Now look at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to him, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing But the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. You know, there's many people who say to us, All you have to do is pray once. Well, we see that's not true. Obviously, we have to pray and pray and pray until we get the will of God. And so he's in this process of submitting himself to God. And he says he went and one more time and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, by the way, what did God say to him? What was the will of God? To go to the cross. There wasn't another way. That was it. So you don't see a thing here with him arguing back and forth with God. He submitted to the will of God. Verse 45, 
Then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Easy to read. Must have been incredible to experience. So Jesus came to offer his body as a payment for the sins of mankind. He became our substitute. Now look at verse 8, back in Hebrews. First he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. So by his death, in his resurrection, Jesus Christ took away the first covenant and established the second, the new covenant, in his blood. So as a result of obedience, our salvation is simply a done deal. Our forgiveness is complete. And I'll have a lot to say about that in a moment because sometimes we struggle with that. Verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy. That word holy means sanctified or set apart. We have been made sanctified, set apart, holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what does that mean, this sanctification? Well, here's what we believe. And I think this is important for you. Let me read to you from George Landis. This is a positional sanctification, as is the case all through Hebrews, and it is true of all believers and not merely a few advanced Christians. It is accomplished by the will of God and the sacrifice of Christ. We are set apart by God, to God, and for God. It is not to be confused with the progressive work of God's Spirit in the believer through the Word. Now, there's no place in the Scriptures that we see other than positionally here, and sometimes that's hard for us to understand, that when we become a Christian and we're forgiven, that we're sanctified. We're perfectly holy. We can't ever sin again. We can't grow in our walk with God. We're just perfectly holy. Well, obviously, you know that's not true. How do we know that's not true? Well, because you take other scriptures and you compare it. Think about, if you could pick a human in the New Testament that you would say may have been the most mature Christian of all Christians in the New Testament, most of us would mention the Apostle Paul. And at the end of his life, what does Paul say? I haven't arrived yet. I'm still in this process of progressive sanctification. Still in this process of being holy. Well, we know that's true. But here's the verses that sometimes there are a group of people, they're wonderful Christians, they're going to be with us, and they actually believe that you can come to a place in your walk with God where you're sanctified, set apart, you never sin again. I never see that in the Scripture. I think that's contrary to what the Scripture teaches over and over and over again. Positionally, that's the way God looks at us. But I mean, when we get to Ephesians, we'll see positionally, He already sees us in heaven. How many of you know we're not in heaven? I mean, if we are, this is a pretty bad place, isn't it? So positionally, yes. Notice, 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, is God is in the light, Then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, 
We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So that tells me right there, there's nowhere in my life that I become perfect. I'm striving, I'm growing, but I never ever get there until, see, the power of sin is gone, the penalty of sin is gone, but the presence of sin is still here in my life. Paul said in Romans 6, 7, and 8, he talked about the whole deal. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I should do, I do. Boom. Opposite. Here we go. Read on. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful. Just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. And showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So, as you look at this, Jesus Christ allows us as followers to become holy, to be set apart, to obey God. When we sin, and we do, we have the Holy Spirit to convict us. And as we are convicted, then we confess. That's how we maintain this walk in the light. Now, as we walk in the light, I have fellowship with God. So this is a work of the Holy Spirit. You're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress as we move through it. So nowhere do we ever come to the place where we are sinless. But listen to what I'm going to say. As you mature in the Lord, you sin less. We never come to the place where we're sinless. We will when we get to heaven because the presence of sin is there no longer. But as you mature, we should be sinning less. That's a sign of maturity in your life, in my life. If you want to kind of make a New Year's resolution, there's a good one right there for all of us. Verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, speaking of Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. So remember, the rest was never there for the Old Testament priest. Always, always, always offering sacrifices. Jesus, once for all, done, finished. So what about myself? When we confess a sin, you never have to think about it again. Christ has forgiven us, forgotten the sin. The sin no longer exists. Here's something I want you to write because we all struggle with this from time to time. Because the enemy, well, he loves to just torment us. Don't think or focus on your sins of the past. If you and I do that, there is no rest. And you'll always feel condemned. And you'll always feel unworthy. And the enemy will use that in your life to keep you from moving forward. In the teaching today, Pastor Mark gave you the rundown of how the Old Testament worship system worked. We found out that it was extremely restrictive. Only one priest had face-to-face access to God, and only one day in the whole year. You found out why this system was weak, why God had planned for a better one to come along, put in place by Jesus' death and resurrection. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. 
you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue this message, Enter In With Confidence. You'll hear more about why the ancient Israelites couldn't enter in at all. You'll find out why God would put a system into place that he knew didn't do the work that ultimately needed to be done. Pastor Mark will also teach you about the importance of obedience and of faith. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living and together, let's do life right. in a hurry.